Exodus chapter 23, verse number 14 to 17. It says, uh, Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of the unleavened bread. We talked about that one. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee in the time appointed of the month of Bib. For in it thou camest out of the, from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, and that's when we were looking at uh, the Pentecost, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering. And that's one we're looking at tonight. That's the feast of the tabernacles, uh, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. Three times in a year, all thy, ma- all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. An interesting thing about the calendar of, Hebrew, uh, of the Hebrews is that when they, were, when, they, when they came out of Egypt, the Lord said, this will be the first day unto you. And so what he did is when, when he brought them out of Egypt, he established a religious calendar. And that religious calendar, that day was the first day of the year. But it's interesting, as you look at the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, which is uh, a few days, I think 25 days before Feast of Tabernacles, because it's in those set of threes. If you have the, uh, the, uh, the graphic there, you can see that. Um, that marks the first day of the civil year. And so this is very important. And, and it's interesting because if you look at the civil year, Passover falls on the seventh month. And the number seven is a number of completion. And so what you have is a perfect uh, cycle of two sets of years, like kind of we have. We've got a new year that goes from uh, you know, January 1st to December 31st. But then many times we have a fiscal year. And maybe a July 31st or half of the year or whatever. And so it's the same thing with the Hebrews. But the Lord chose that, that on the seventh month we would have this Feast of the Tabernacles, which is really aiming towards the end of all time, the, the end of all things, uh, when we're going to enjoy the perfect age. And, uh, and so it's kind of interesting when you see that calendar and how the Lord established it. Uh, I don't know if you get what I'm saying here, but maybe it'll make sense as we go, all right? <laughs> it makes sense, perfect sense to me, all right? Uh, Exodus 34, verse 22, it says this, And thou shalt observe the feast of the weeks of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of the ingathering at the year's end. Thrice in the year shall all your men and children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. So he's really establishing in the book of Exodus in a general way here uh, that they're going to meet. All the males will have to always come back and, and, and worship in these feasts from this day and onward. And that leads us all the way up to remember Pentecost when after Jesus Christ rose from the grave, they all came there because of this command right here. And so all those generations, they were following this three times a year to each one of these feasts, all right? And so that's quite something. The Lord is establishing this. Why would he do all this? Well, because he's got a, he's got a, a, a total plan for mankind. And these feasts, what they're doing is they're they're explaining to you several different truths, but one of them is really the redemption plan of the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, how he came to save us, then also came back to take us to be with him. Amen? And so wonderful truths here. So number one, this third and final feast is referred to as the ingathering, commemorating the final fall harvest of the agriculture year. And so remember we talked about there were three actually harvests in the year, the first one, remember at Passover, they would do the wave offering. That would be the barley harvest, and that was the first fruits of the barley. Uh, Pentecost, which was 50 days later, they would have a wave offering of bread, but it was leavened bread, 
And that was the, that was the harvest of wheat. And so that has to do with us right now because he, that's why Jesus says, think not as yet four months and the harvest is the, the fields are already white, already to harvest. So we're sitting within that dynamic now on the big picture in that wheat harvest, you see. And uh, one person I had explained it, uh, he had said, when it was white already to harvest, see, because they didn't have machinery like we have, we can just go in a combine and knock it all down in one shot. It, it, it takes it off of the kernel and puts it right into the bin. They shoot it into the truck within like in one process. It's doing this. But with, when you do it by hand, you had to actually take it down before it became perfectly ripe. Otherwise, the little kernels will actually fall out of the stalks and you wouldn't be able to gather them up by hand. Do you understand? So they, what they did is they took them out when they were white already to harvest and then they stood them into groups of stalks until the time that they were ready to be beaten. And uh, I guess the word would be, uh, Satan hath desired you, sift you as wheat, <laughs> all right? And, and so until the sifting. And when they sifted it, that's when they would break off those kernels and then they would, it would, they'd get rid of the, the chaff. They would burn the chaff. And there's a lot in the scripture about that as well. And so you can see, as far as the culture is concerned, it's very interesting to see how that the Lord looked at that. Because I look at you know, them going out and gathering these, 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 uh, these, uh, this wheat that's white already and then putting them into bushels. I look at that as the churches. And so we're, we're waiting in this time where we're putting together in a bushel until the time where we are ripe and then the Lord will come. Amen. So we're really right in the middle of the harvest. And the Lord told us that when he was here. So interesting thought anyways. Say, preacher, I don't believe that's true. Well, that's okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Number two, the three convocations in the seventh month. And so basically the seventh month, like I said, the number seven is a very important uh, uh, number in the Bible. It always talks about completion or perfection. Uh, the world uh, you know, was created in six days and he rests on the seventh. The seventh was that, that time of completion where everything was done. And that's what's happening here in the seventh month. So this Feast of the Tabernacles, it's really talking about a time where everything's going to be done. Where every, all, all the work is over. All the labor is ended. And that's quite an interesting uh, thing to look at here. And so in Numbers 29, verse 1, it says, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, ye shall have a holy convocation. Ye shall do no, no servile work. It is a day of blowing the trumpets unto you. And so the first thing we're going to look at here is the Feast of Trumpets. And that is on the first day of the seventh month. So this completion, we're working towards this complete plan that Jesus Christ is working out for his people. And the first thing that happens, blowing the trumpet. Amen? So that's kind of interesting, isn't it? And so, number one, the trumpets would be blown on the first day of the civil year. So this is the government year. This is the, uh, you know, the civil, not the religious year, but the, 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 uh, the whole economy of year, okay? Number two, trumpets would be used for several reasons in Israel. Leviticus 25, 9 says, Then thou shalt cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And so there you have on the day of atonement, which is coming up here after the first day, they blew a trumpet as well. So there's all kinds of reasons. Letter A is to assemble Israel. In Numbers 10.2, it says, Make thee two trumpets of silver, of the whole piece thou shalt make them, and thou, thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeyings of the camps. 
And so trumpets have a lot of purposes, uh, a lot of purposes. And it's interesting because they would have the shofar, they would have the, I guess that would be the, the sheep's horn or the goat, well, I think it's sheep, right? Uh, the ram's horn. I knew I was getting that right. And so, and then they would also have, they would start making trumpets of silver. And so these would be the kind of trumpets that they'd use to blow the horn. So letter B, to, to obtain God's help against the enemy. Numbers 10 verse 9, if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, then ye shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. Say, so why does God have to wake up? I mean, he knows what's going on. You understand that it's not always about what... You know, even how they would pray sometimes, Daniel would remind him of the covenant that God had made with them. It's not like God forgot, but God wants us to tell him about the promise he made to us. I mean, you want God to answer prayers and you want him to, uh, to fulfill his promises to you. You just can't walk around not knowing what God promised. He wants you to know what, what he promised and he wants you to tell him what he promised. And then he says, now, guess what? I'll be glorified in fulfilling that promise for you. Amen? And so they blew a horn that the Lord would remember. You know? And you think, well, God's not forgetful, but that's not what it's about. The Lord wants us so intricately involved in the process of, of, uh, of what God's trying to do in our life. He wants us to remember and know the promises that he's made towards us. Amen? Uh, letter C, to call, attention to, to call God's attention to an offering. And you see that in Numbers 10.10, also in the day of your gladness. And in your solemn days, in the beginning of your months, you shall blow with your trumpets over the, your burnt offerings and over your sacrifices of your peace offerings that they may be for you for a memorial before your God. I am the Lord your God. Amen. There again, it, it's, it's to help us remember are the promises that God made in providing this way for them to have their sins forgiven. Amen. Very important. Letter D, uh, to announce the presence of God. 2 Samuel 6, 15. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Amen. Uh, letter E, to warn of war and danger. Jeremiah four nineteen. My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my, my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. And so sometimes the horn would, would give off a sound that would warn them that war is close. All right. Um, letter F, to play music. <laughs> There's a reason for, you think that'd be the first one. Well, for us it is, but not in God's economy. In 2 Chronicles 5.13, it says, And it came even to pass as the trumpeters, uh, the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord and when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. So the Lord loves the sound of the trumpet. Amen. Aren't you glad about that, Brother Paul? Amen. He's got a trumpet that goes. I mean, it's a little different than a trumpet, but it's, it works. Amen. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> Trumpets are mentioned in the New Testament as well. Letter A, the return of Christ. And the gathering of his elect. You see, within the tribulation time, Matthew 24, verse 31, he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Amen. And so here you have the Lord gathering up Israel together when he's going to set his foot down uh, upon the Mount of Olives. Letter B, the resurrection of the dead. Here's our trumpet. 
1 Corinthians 15, 52, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Also, they would uh, just be used to give signals. 1 Corinthians 14, 8, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? And so the sound of the trumpet and how they played it would always give a signal as to what they're trying to tell you. So letter D, also significant announcements and events. Revelation 1.10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Revelation 8.2, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Talking about the trumpet judgments, all right? And by the way, the trumpet judgments are not the rapture trumpet, all right? We'll look at that some other time. Number four, (laughs) it was accompanied by offerings, by offerings. In Numbers 29, verse 2, it gives us a list, and I'm not, you know, we went through this last time. I don't think we need to go through it all again, but it just goes through the different burnt offerings, sin offerings, peace offerings, Every time they would have a convocation, every time they would have a special feast that they were supposed to focus themselves on the Lord, there would always be the death of the animal and and the shedding of the blood. Amen. That's always before. That's such a blessing, folks. (laughs) You think about this. You know, God, wasn't, I thought about this today, how that Moses, uh, you know, went up to the mountain, he got the law, he came down, he read it to the people, you know, but God didn't just leave it there. They said, oh, yeah, whatever you do, that want us to do, we're going to do it. And God said, okay, uh, that sounds great. Moses, come back up here. And he wrote it on a table of stone, the Ten Commandments. They already had the law written in a book. He'd been up eight times the mountain already. But this is a very special time because when he came down, he, actually, he also had the instruction for what was called the tabernacle. So when he had the table, the tablets of the law, he didn't just bring them down there and hang them up on his wall and say, hey guys, this is what it's about. He brought them down there and immediately, after he broke the first set, the second set, he brought them down there and put them immediately within the Ark of the Covenant. Think about that. He didn't, I, I know we do that today. We, we're, we get all bent out of shape because people are taking down the Ten Commandments. And, and I'm, I'm all for having the Ten Commandments up. But this is the thing with Moses. He didn't do that. He says, no, no, we can't put these Ten Commandments up because you'll die. So we're going to take these Ten Commandments, we're going to put them in the ark that the Lord gave me the pattern to build, and we're going to put a lid over it, and then the Lord gave us instruction on how to sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat. What a wonderful truth that is. So that's why every time you've got a feast, every time you've got something, he always says, you bring these sin offerings, you bring these peace offerings, you bring these trespass offerings. Because that is how you are going to make it through this. All the plan I have about the future, all the wonderful joy we have to look forward to, without that blood, you got nothing. And so that's what it was so important to point out, that every time there's a feast, there were sacrifices, amen, and offerings. Number five, the blowing of the trumpets were a call for Israel to prepare for the coming day of atonement. So this is interesting. So we have the trumpets going first, and then we've got the... Day of Atonement coming up here. And that's an interesting uh, thing we'll look at in just a little bit. So the 15 days that were between the Feast of the Trumpets and the Day of Atonement are called in Israel's day, this is what they called it, the Days of Awe. The Days of Awe. 
So we blew the horn. We got 15 days till the Day of Atonement. That's where they would come and they would bring their offering. And every man would put their hand upon that offering and confess their sins. And Aaron would confess it for him. And then he would also confess it for all the sins of Israel. And they would let the scapegoat go out into the wilderness and they would shed the blood of the other one. And so that was a great picture of the forgiveness of the Israelite people. And we'll look at that in a bit. Number six, the blowing of the trumpet was a memorial before the Lord concerning his promises to Israel. And Numbers 10, verse 9, once again, ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. Uh, I think I already talked about that. Letter B, the Day of Atonement. Number one, the word atonement is from Kippur, which means to cover. And so we, we've heard that before Yom Kippur. It even says that on your graphic here. That's what they still call it to this day. Now, it's nothing like they used to celebrate it. Uh, they don't do it the same. They don't have the things in place anymore. And so their tradition has changed. But this is what the Bible says it ought to have been. So it's talking about reconciliation, expiation. This same word, Kippur, and number two, it says this is the same word that is used for the pitch that sealed Noah's ark. So in Genesis 6, 14, it says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And so that word pitch is the word kippur. That's the first time in the Bible they use the word that associates with atonement. And we know that ark is Christ. He is the ark. Amen. And so he sealed the ark with his very sacrifice, with his own blood, with his own atonement, so that he could lift up the saints above the destruction. Amen. And so that's a good picture for us. Number three, the day of atonement is a major picture of Christ and his atonement for sins. I hope I'm not going too fast. I'm just really trying to get through this. All right, letter A. Four page. I said, every time I start with 20 pages, I start cutting down. And today I did it. I finally did my final cut. And I, I looked at my page. It was exactly four pages when I was done. I says, how do I do this? I don't know. It works. Amen. Anyways, one day each year, a high priest would enter the Holy of Holies to offer blood on the mercy seat. So it was a one day a year thing. It was on the 15th uh, day of the seventh month, uh, right after the, the uh, festival of the trumpets. And so uh, I don't want to read all of this here, but Hebrews 9 verse 1 to 14 gives that, that, uh, that the, the um, revelation here of how the Jesus Christ, it says, but into the second went the high priest alone once each year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of this people, the Holy Ghost, this t- signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while at the first tabernacle was yet standing. In other words, they didn't know how Jesus Christ was going to make this happen. Uh, but then it goes on to say, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he had entered, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Amen. And so he was that high priest. So right now, there's three offices that Jesus, is hold, that Jesus holds. The prophet, because this Bible is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our prophet, but then he's also our high priest. He is our interceder. In fact, right now, that's what he's doing. He's praying for people, uh, that people would be saved to the uttermost. Amen. And that's his ministry towards us. He's, He's interceding between man and God. And he's standing between us and the Father and and making the Father see his righteousness 
over our sin. Amen. So he is our high priest. He went once into the holy place for our eternal redemption, the Bible says. All right. Uh, Letter B, it is mentioned seven times that the offering should be made before the Lord, showing it is that it is God that must be propitiated or satisfied. This offering, who's it for? Is it for the leaders of the land? Is it for, no, it's before the Lord. He is the one that we have, we have offended. He's the one that we've transgressed. And so all of these offerings, seven times, number of completion, were before the Lord in the Day of Atonement, all right? Um, in Leviticus 16, one, it says, The Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. See, they, this is the thing. What a great, that, that preaches right there, that verse. Because these guys thought it didn't matter how it is that they come before the Lord and worship Him and sacrifice. And they brought strange fire. And the Lord immediately killed them. Well, they're doing their job. What's a big deal? That's what the church says today. What's a big deal? It's a big deal. We're going to keep making it a big deal because everything we do sanctifies the Lord God in the eyes of the people. That's why we don't use alcohol to picture the blood of Christ. That's why we don't use leavened bread to to have the Lord's Supper because it was a perfect, sinless body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we baptize by immersion because we are placed into the Lord Jesus Christ at salvation. I mean, everything you do is is a sanctification process in the eyes of the people. And that's why when Moses smote the rock, instead of speaking to it, the Lord says, because you failed to sanctify me in the eyes of the people, you're not going into the land. And you know, there's a lot of Christians today, they are not going to be in the will of God because they refused to sanctify the Lord God in the eyes of the people. They think it's okay, methodology doesn't matter, as long as we got the end game in play here. I'm sorry, it's, methodology does actually very much matter. Everything. We don't have the right to to figure out the methodology, how to start, how to finish, how to do it, what we're doing, where we're going. It is all dictated by the Word of God. Uh, I mean, you're smart. There's a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of ideas that you have. I've heard guys over the years, well, I'm going to do this for God, and I'm going to do this for God. And I'm going to say, it doesn't sound too scriptural for me. Because when you're not scriptural, I'm sorry, you're not sanctifying the Lord God in the eyes of the people. And it may be mundane, it may not give you the glory you're looking for, but I'm going to tell you something, that is the way that God gets glorified. Amen? So we'll just keep doing it that way. How's that, folks? Amen? <laughs> All right. Uh, letter C. The high priest would first offer a sin offering for himself. Jesus Christ did not, because he was without sin. Amen? He didn't have to go in and offer anything for himself, but the high priest did. Leviticus 16, 6, And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. So before he could confess the sins of Israel over that goat, he had to first get himself right. See, Jesus never had to do that. He was just right all the time. Hebrews 4, 15, For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 7, verse 26, it says, For such an high priest became us, who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Amen. What a great verse that is. I like it. Letter D. The high priest wore the regular priestly garments while presenting the sin offering, picturing how Christ laid aside his glory to die for sins. 
So the, the, the garb that the high priest would wear would be very ornate. There would be stones, 12 stones picturing uh, the, the tribes of Israel. There would be gold all over him. There would be a gold band across his, uh, his miter on his head and so forth. But when it came to the Day of Atonement, they stripped all of it off. And he went in just with a white priestly garment. Because that pictures how Jesus Christ let go of everything. And just says, I'm just going in based upon my perfection as the Son of God. Amen? That was required for the sacrifice. And so, he shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen mitre shall he be attired. That's all linen. That means it's all white. The belt, the hat, the, the cloak, uh, the, the, breeches, the breeches underneath. Breeches are pants, by the way. <laughs> all those things. And they had them all on, and they were just white. No ornate decoration at all. And we get that from Philippians 2.5. It also says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Good translation there, isn't it? Because that's exactly what it means. It means that he was God, and he didn't think for one second that I am not equal with God. Every bit my father has, that's what I am. What, what, what I am, my father is. What he is, I am. There's no robbery for me to say, hey, I am God. I'm not taking anything away. Watch those new translations, man. They all say that he could not, he could not reach the form of God. Bringing him down. Oh, how wicked that is, man. That's the devil himself doing that. But it says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. No reputation. Oh, that's what we do. First thing, hey, oh, I'm pretty good at this. Hey, look what I've done. You know, Jesus didn't come doing that. He didn't say one thing about himself. You know what spoke for him? And he told us several times, you know, it's interesting because I hear these um, people on social media and the different people, the people that, uh, the Muslims and so forth, they always try to attack the deity of Christ. You tell me where in the Bible that Jesus claimed that he was personally God. As if they somehow got something over on us here. I'll say, if your God would run around, if your Muhammad would run around declaring himself to be God, I would say that's no God because Jesus Christ didn't need to run around saying he was God. He showed it by his works. He showed it by the testimony of others. He showed it by the testimony of his father. He told it by the testimony of John the Baptist. He had witnesses all around him. And he said over and over and over again, he says, hey, if, if, if you cannot be established by two or three witnesses, don't believe him. And he said that over and over. He says, hey, what does it matter what I say? He made himself of no reputation. He came on the scene and he says, you know what? I'm going to let what I do and what I am speak for itself. And by the way, he did claim to be God. <laughs> Amen. At the end. <laughs> All right, letter E. That's after he'd already proved it <laughs> over and over. Letter E, the high priest was alone in the tabernacle, picturing how the Jesus Christ alone offered himself for our sins. Did I already do that one? No, I didn't. It was close, though. And so it says, Who being the brightness of his glory, in Hebrews 1.3, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How many of you like to do ministry by yourself? You know, you like to do some, hey, can you give me a hand? Can you do this with me? Yeah, hey, I'd be good. You know, two or three chords, you know, stronger than one. You know, Jesus went there by himself. He went to the cross by himself. There's nobody that could come alongside. There's nobody that could, hey, hey, I'll be here for you. No, he even said, Peter, you say you're going to be there for me. You're going to deny me three times. 
As soon as he got arrested, all of them just <laughs> scurried like rats, you know what I mean? Jesus knew he had to be alone. And he, he was alone for us. And that's why the high priest every year would go in, he would go in alone. And that was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Letter F, the cloud of incense was to cover the Ark of the Covenant so the high priest would not die. Picturing Christ's intercessory prayer and perfect life. And so somehow he went in there, found his way around, and the incense is just lighting it up and filling up the whole tabernacle so that when he went into the Holy of Holies, behind that veil once a year, he couldn't even see the Ark of the Covenant, lest he die. That, that incense is a picture of Christ's intercessory prayer and his perfect life. That's what stands before you in death. Remember Peter? Peter Satan hath the desire to have you and to sift you as we can. You know, he said, but I have prayed for you. Wow. So in other words, you'd be toast. But guess what? I have prayed for you. That's all he needed to do. There's not one prayer that Jesus ever made that God the Father did not answer. And if Jesus would have come to you and says, you know what, I prayed for you today that this would happen, you know what, you can get pretty excited because that's exactly what's going to happen. Amen. And so his intercessory prayer, his perfect life, you know, standing between us and God, that's how we can come before the throne of God. Amen? And so what an exciting thing that is. Matthew 3, verse 17, it says, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we need to get this through our heads. Folks, he is not pleased with you. Okay? Now, I want you to hear me right here. Can you please God? Yes, you can. But he is not pleased with you. He's pleased with his son. And the only way you can please him, it says, for without faith, it is impossible to please him. That means the only way you can please God is by doing what the Bible says to do. If you do anything on your own, it has no guarantee of pleasing God. Because only through the words of Christ will you be able to to exalt Christ in the Father's eyes. And then he says, I am pleased with what you chose to do because it exemplifies the words of my son. That's why he said, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Matthew 17, 5, it also says, uh, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. There you go. That's where the faith comes in. Is saying, you want to please me? you got to hear my son. You just can't make up your own way. You can't just say, well, I just feel this is the best way. I'm sorry, you are going to come out flat unless you've got Bible principle to back of what you said. You want to please him? we got to do it according to Scripture. Amen? John eleven forty two, 42. And I knew this, that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which I stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. That's Jesus Christ talking with the Father. Letter G. The high priest sprinkled the blood seven times, picturing the fullness of Christ's atonement. So when he had that blood, went into the holiest of holies seven times upon the mercy seat. And that's a picture of the fullness of Christ's atonement for our sins. In Hebrews 10, verse 14, it says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. One offering. Complete. Fullness. That's why, folks, you start saying, oh, I can lose it, I need to go. Well, then Jesus got to come back and sprinkle some more. 
That's a pretty bad thing to say. I wouldn't be going there. <laughs> Amen. If he says I've done it once forever, let's just leave it right there. Yeah. Amen. Once forever. Letter H. The blood of the sin offering was put on the horns of the brazen altar, picturing the authority of Christ as a son of God to take away sin. And we know that in Matthew 28, it says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He had all authority. In the Ephesians 1.22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Amen. So that horn on the altar was a picture of authority. Remember we talked about uh, Adonijah grabbing onto that horn. Solomon gave him a little mercy. He said, okay, we'll see what you're made up of. But then he started playing it again and immediately he was killed. Joab saw what Adonijah did. And when he knew that they were out for blood, out to get Joab because of what he'd done in killing Abner and not listening... Uh, he ran to the altar. What did they do? Just went and killed him right there. See, you can't just claim the authority of Christ and then not truly have a repentant heart. Oh, just because I hold on the authority, oh, the authority of Christ. No, I'm sorry. There, there, there are some qualifications to claim authority of Christ. The authority of Christ also has a lot to do with the character of Christ. So here I am loving my sin and the Lord's going to give me mercy because, you know, simply because, you know, he's just a good God. You need to understand something here. That authority, when you're baptized in the name of, you know, that name is talking about authority, but it's also talking about his character, but what he represents. And that's why Solomon, he gave the benefit of the doubt the first time to Adonijah when he grabbed the horn. But then when he wanted to get David's uh, concubine or the, the woman that was taking care of him till his death, then Solomon knew that he's just out to undermine me again. He proved his heart wasn't right. And so he... Cut them off. Wow. We don't do that in the church today. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you something. Wow. That's pretty heavy. And David even told Solomon, you know, that Joab, I, I promised I would never do anything about it, but you sure can. That Shimei, remember Shimei, who cursed along the, the mountain range there at, at David about because he was a, one of the sons of Saul. David said, hey, the Lord sent him. Humble me, <laughs> you know. That doesn't mean they couldn't tell Solomon to deal with it. <laughs> and he sure did. He gave an opportunity to prove himself. You stay within your borders. You'll live forever. you live till the day you die. But oh, he took that so lightly. One day, some of his servants took off. He went and got them and thought, ah, what's the big deal here? It came back to Solomon. He called them in. You're dead. Wow. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about this thing right here. We talk a lot of things with our mouth, man. I'll tell you something, the Lord looks directly on your heart. And sometimes, man, we have to say, okay, let's give him a chance because we don't see the heart. The Lord says, I'm going to tell you something, that one's done. Wow. Wouldn't, you be, wouldn't that be a terrible thing for you to be in a position where the Lord is already looking and saying, you'll never be profitable for my work? Maybe everybody else is fooled in the church, but the Lord knows. And the, and the hammer falls sooner or later. Amen. You just can't go on forever. So let's be right. Let's be right in our hearts, amen. Let's represent that authority with purity and righteousness and, and, and faith and follow what the Word of God says. Anyways, let's move on. Letter I. The scapegoat represents a completeness of Christ's atonement. And so, but the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And in Leviticus 16, it talks about Aaron, how he shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat, and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man 
into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited. And he shall let the, go the goat in the wilderness. That scapegoat is Jesus Christ. He bore all of our iniquities. He brought it to a land that's far away from here to totally deal with it. He took away our sins, the Bible says, the Lamb of God which taketh away. Amen. So he became our scapegoat. He also became the other goat that they would kill and they would take the blood and sprinkle it upon the altar. And so it's interesting here because the word all in this passage, all their sins, uh, all their iniquities, all appears four times in this passage. The goat would carry away the sins of Israel never to return, picturing the complete remission of sin. All, 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 all. Amen. We got to remember that. Folks, do you understand that if you're saved here today, when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have one sin to account for? What happens if you'd have one sin to account for? Even the smallest of sin, even the minutest of sin that everybody down here says, oh, that's not a big deal. There is only one judgment on that and that the wages of sin is death. See, it has to be all or nothing. Either he took them all or he really didn't do anything for us. If I had the minutest sin, I have to go to hell for it. That's why it's important that all. <laughs> Four times all. Amen? Anyways, uh, Micah seven nineteen. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And so a goat was brought away by the hand of a fit man. Who's the fit man? Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's, he was a lone man. He did it all himself. He was a fit man. He was a scapegoat. He was the dead goat. He was the blood. He was everything. He was the ark. He was the law. He was the table of showbread. He was everything. He was the incense. It was all Christ. Where were you in that? Nowhere. You were in that little laying on the hands. <laughs> Amen. And that word laying on the hands means leaning. Leaning. Trusting. Putting your weight on. I put it on my weight on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And letter J, a burnt offering was made after the sin offering. That's just talking about the complete judgment on the Lord Jesus Christ. Letter A, K, the day of atonement was a day where they did no work picturing the grace of salvation. So it was another one of these high Sabbath days. Um, and then letter L, on the day of atonement, the people afflicted their souls. Oh, that's not common. Oh, so we don't need to really afflict our souls. We don't really need repentance today. We just got to believe and just say, yeah, I believe you, Jesus. I prayed this prayer. No, there's something that happens in your soul when you get saved. See, because the whole issue is sin. And if you don't know what happened with your sin the day you got saved, then you got to ask yourself, did you really get saved? Because that's exactly why Jesus died. For your sin. Amen. And that's why it brings sorrow to your heart. I always tell people, i got good news for you. It's called the gospel. But before I can give it to you, i got to give you the bad news. If you're willing to listen to the bad news, then I'll give you the good news. And, you know, by the time they get into the bad news, it sounds pretty rough, but there's good news here, so let's just keep on going. <laughs> Amen. And so you want them to start afflicting their soul and realizing you know, that I am a sinner and I am on my way to hell. Amen. And then you tell them about Christ. And how he brought all before the throne of God. He paid for it all on the cross of Calvary. Amen? Good stuff.
Acts 20, verse 21, testify both to the Jews, also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's got me into trouble talking about repentance in this church. I had people sending me emails and, oh, your repentance. And I got another guy sending me emails saying, hey, you don't preach repentance enough. And this guy, you're not, you're preaching too much repentance. And I say, if I'm in the middle of you two guys, I must be pretty close to balanced. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and one time I had two of them from both sides coming at me at the same time in the same couple of days. And I really was very tempted to say, I'm going to give you somebody's email. <laughs> we'll keep you busy. I didn't do that. I should have. Letter M. <laughs> the day of atonement is prophetic, pointing to the day when Israel will repent and receive the Messiah and be converted. Amen. Uh, this is all pointing to that end of the tribulation time. When Jesus Christ comes again, that's the day of atonement for Israel. After the trumpets, there's some trumpets that took place. What kind of trumpets? All kinds of trumpets. Trumpets to announce some pretty hard things. Trumpets to call up the church. Trumpets to, to start off the tribulation. All kinds of trumpets happening before that. And then all of a sudden, the day of atonement. And Israel is saved. Amen. And then the feast of tabernacles. Amen. Zechariah 12.10 and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they will look upon me, whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. They would afflict their souls that day. Oh, we crucified him 2,000 years ago. That was our people, my fathers, my grandfathers. We did this. Until this day, we've been cursing this this Messiah's name, and now he's revealed himself, just like on that day when Paul met him on the road to Damascus, he was, he was cursing Jesus until that day, and that day, who are you? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. You know, Paul got saved real quick. <laughs> he says, okay, <laughs> just imagine, after all he had done against the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus would even use him as a vessel to the Gentiles. What a great God we have, Amen. Zechariah 13.1 In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. That's that fountain that they, they had put away, that they had rejected. He says, but that day I'm going to open up the fountain. Amen. Remember Sunday night we talked about that? Anyways, it's 8 o'clock. Oh my goodness. Almost, almost made it through. Yeah, let's stop right there. Let's bow our heads. I was going so fast, too. It's all that preaching in between, amen? Let's bow our heads. Oh, folks, what a great God we have. Think about this. Think about what he's done for us. Think about how he did it all for us. Really, it's not you at all. It's just you just saying, you know, Lord, you're right. I am a lawbreaker. I am a sinner. And I know you're probably here on a Wednesday night and you're probably born again. If you're not, I'm going to encourage you to get saved tonight. But Christian, we ought to sure be grateful for what we heard tonight. Wonderful truth that he's given us throughout the ages, reminding us of what he has done for us. And then to have the eternal rest to look forward to.